0: Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you? The brain, the emotions, the brain, the emotions. I'm not going to overwhelm you with that today. Yeah, a little bit, maybe. Well, we won't go into too much psychotherapy talk and things like that, but I'm so glad to see all of you. Uh, wow, what a phenomenal week. Last week was Easter here at Church City Church. I want to thank you for following through and inviting friends and family. Some of you from last week came back here, and as you said, true to my word, I don't have a suit jacket on, right? But hey, we saw 660 people over three services come in. That's crazy, crazy. Yeah, Christian and I haven't really sat down and had it settle in. You know, from six, eight people in your living room to 660 people on a Sunday. You know, three services. We had 11 people say yes to Jesus. Come on, that's crazy. I mean, one or two. The church might go a whole year, see two or three, but 11 in one Sunday. Eight people signed up to be baptized. Come on now, that's great. And what we saw was, because you know, I have a list of people and and who they invited, and those names were being prayed over, we saw a measurable amount of those people that were invited and prayed over come to church on Easter. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. And so here we go. You know, week one, we're starting off a new series, a three-week series. We're kicking it off, and we're, we're calling our series, Change Thinking, we all these different names it just came out to change thinking, right? Because in this series, we, wanna, we want you to think about the way you think. <laughs> yeah, you see, because we all have these things that we want to change in our lives, right? But the change we desire doesn't start on the outside. It begins on the inside, in particular, with how we think, In this series, we want to kind of confront some of these negative thoughts of maybe uh, guilt, anxiety, discouragements, you know, and we want to encourage you to think differently, even to be aware that you think. You would say, Dave, I I know, yeah, I know you know you think like you know you breathe, but do you pay attention? Do you pause and be still and say, and really examine what you're thinking and how you're thinking and why you're thinking, what's going on in there? And we want you to uh, approach this differently, and we want you to, understand it through a deeper knowledge, a greater knowledge of God's love and of God's power and of God's truth, beginning today. Now, this is important because, you know, sometime, or just to know, most of the time, we, the way we think significantly influences where we end up in life, how you get to where you are, right? Now, when I grew up, there was a place called White Castle, I think you know. Did anybody ever been to a White Castle? Yeah, like like yeah, like two people, you know. Okay, so if you're down south, I think something comparable might be like a Crystal, you know. But White Castle is even worse. So so White Castle is a 24-hour burger joint in Brooklyn, New York. They had them throughout the city, and we would call them like murder burgers, horse meat, you know. They were these little, really greasy, salty things. They would just slide down so fast, right? And the thing is, you know, and you you know usually you'd go out it's not like how would i put it no one actually planned I don't think anybody actually got up and planned to go to White Castle. It's not like you think, okay, it's Sunday, I'm planning out my week. Oh, I know, Thursday, Friday night, we're going to White Castle. You just don't do that, you know? Or well, even like it's Friday, what am I doing tonight? I know I'm going to go to White Castle. Y- you don't do that either. It's kind of like you go out and you paint the town, if you get my gist, right? You know, like you, you basically ingest different, a variety of different substances into your body that brings you to an impaired state, and then you wind up at like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning at White Castle. That, that's why you're at White Castle with like-minded people, minded people down dozens of these horrific hamburgers. That, that's, what, that's what I proud You don't plan to be there, right? You just wind up there. You know, in the end, everybody winds up somewhere in life. But not everybody winds up there on purpose, huh? Intentionally. Where you end up in life, for the most part, is determined by the way you think. There's a man in the Bible called Solomon. He's a king, a even you know, people who profess to believe in God, even atheists consider him one of the, uh, certainly one of the wealthiest and perhaps one of the wisest persons that ever walked the earth. And he writes in the book in the Bible called Proverbs. Proverbs is a, a, really a, a collection of these wise sayings, to this day so applicable to our lives. But in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Solomon writes, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, what Solomon is saying here is be careful to what's going on in your mind and your heart because the course of your life is determined by your thoughts. Now, where you, end up is li- so where you end up in life depends on or is influenced by how you think. I want you to consider this, and I've said this before in different ways, that your thoughts shape your emotions, your emotions shape your behavior, and your behavior shapes your character. How you're acting, the actions you're going to take. Now, most of the time, we don't really realize the influence our thoughts have on our behavior. Meaning, as I said before, we don't even realize. I mean, I know we like we know we breathe, we know we have thoughts, but we don't actually kind of reconcile that truth. How I'm thinking is going to affect my behavior. How I'm thinking about this person is going to affect how I'm going to interact with them. How I'm thinking about my spouse is going to have a direct correlation to how I'm going to respond to them. We don't really reconcile that. We don't put the two of them together. Of course, you would agree with me. How could you not agree with me? It's just truth. But do we pause and really give time and attention to this truth because it's going to determine how you're going to feel and how you're going to act and where you're going to go, right? And often we don't think this way until what? We don't really give attention to our thinking until we make a bad decision, right? Make a really bad decision. And then what do we say? What do we say at that point? What was I Thinking, right? What was I thinking? How could I do that? What was I thinking? Where was I? Huh? Is anybody? Is am I the only one that often is asking himself that question? Right? I mean, and if you're around me, you'll hear me toss it out from time to time. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's lighter. Uh, as I say, it's usually most severe when it's coming from somebody outside telling you that like what were you thinking right (laughs) I remember um we're not doing it as often maybe because of uh moments like this but I you know especially when i first came up here i i like to hike you know because i'm from the city and i get out there it's just it's just so new and it's so exciting to me to be out in the woods and and take the kids and you never know what you're going to come across a, a squirrel a fox a, a lion a tiger a, a bear who knows what's out there right i'm in the woods man you know and you know, and I take the kids, and I'm like, let's just, just go out. Let's get out there, you know? And Chris is like, okay, well, do you, do you know where you're going? I'm like, well, no, no. It's just, we're going into the woods. You don't really need to know where you're going. She's like, yeah, but, but do you have a map? I'm like, I don't have a map. She goes, but do you have a compass? I'm like, you don't need a compass? You know, you just, you're just taking all the risk out of it, all the fun out of it. You're just, just going. We'll figure it out. And so, like, maybe four hours later, you know, the kids are crying, Chrissy's just just putting her head down, and it's getting dark, and I have no idea where we are, man, you know. And this happened more than once, you know. And, and here I am looking, I'm like, okay, I got, like, one bar left. I'm like, okay, I've just got to concede at this point and dial 911. There's no other way out of this, you know. Like, hi, officer, this is, uh, yeah, Dave Trelango, <laughs> You got to give her your information. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the woods somewhere. I don't know where I am. Can you send, like, a helicopter? I don't know. Just send somebody here, man. So, you know, they, they basically, one time, you know, one time they came, and one time they actually, with a GPS, got me out, right? So obviously this happened more than once. But, you know, and then of course when I do see them, you know, they'll say, what were you thinking? You, your wife, your kids, you're going to the woods with nothing? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking, right? So we have those moments, and I've had several, maybe I've kind of cultivated some of your own in you, where you ask yourself that question. Maybe after a bad business decision, hmm, what was I thinking? Maybe after an impulsive purchase on a credit card or taking out a large loan for something and impulsively without reconciling that with reality, what was I thinking, huh? Maybe after an unhealthy and toxic relationship, now now that it's over, what what how did what was I thinking? Maybe after you took a extended ride in the back of a police vehicle, right? Like, what what was I thinking? Well, maybe like me, you could check the box off for all of those, right? (laughs) What was I thinking? Usually it comes, it takes coming to a place like that in our life where we begin to realize the power of our thoughts. But it doesn't have to be that way. God has a better plan. He invites you into a life-giving relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, And there, in that relationship, he shapes the way you think, which shapes the way you behave, right? Which influences your emotions and your behavior. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you, massively change you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I love it. Good, pleasing, perfect. Beyond what, you really, beyond what you could have hoped for. Beyond what you would have planned. If you want to change your life, you must change the way you think, beginning with the way you think about the one true God, so that you would know his plan and his destiny for you, because he has such. Now... When it comes to thinking, I just want to kind of dry, try and give you a depiction. It's loose. But I want you to picture your thoughts. It's like a stream running through the forest. And, and as it does, it's carving out. It's changing the terrain, right? It's making a way. And that's how thoughts are in your head. The, the more they hang around, the more that you fuel them, the more that you exercise them, the more they have an environment to go they do that. They take up more space in your head, in your brain. They're carving out, you know, patterns, ways, channels, circuits, call it what you want. They're, they're there and they're a force, huh? They, they, the way you process things, the way you interpret things, huh? The way you experience them are all going to happen because of these thoughts flying through. In marriage, in relationships, the way you understand words are right here. Chris and I had a, one of the breakthroughs we've had in the last several years is when we realized that when we would come into each other's company to talk about something, we were not hearing what the other person was saying because of preconceived thoughts. So she had a set of thoughts, a, a stream of thoughts that were in her mind in regarding to me and how I would, was and what she could expect and the things I had done. And she would come into that conversation, whatever it really was about, with that and I would do the same for her. And so I would say one thing, like, this is what I really mean, but Christy would hear another. And she would say something, really, and I would hear something else. And where did that get us? Not very far, right? You know, Christy going on forever, me just sitting there not saying anything. You know, (laughs) so... Okay. We have guests, okay? It's one thing that I'm not wearing a jacket, but now to turn around, I'm giving them any indication that I'm excessively when I communicate. Don't tell them that. You know, but really, you know... so the stream of thoughts is having a massive effect, a huge effect on how you're interpreting things. So someone comes to you and says, hey, you look great. An optimist says, wow, what a friendly person, right? A pessimist thinks it must be the lighting in here, just, just not true. They must be, they're just trying to make me feel good. I don't believe that. If you're a narcissist, you think, hey, I was just thinking the same thing, Right? Toss them all my way. If you're cynical, you're thinking, oh, Pastor Dave, what are you, what are you trying to get me to do? You must want me to serve somewhere in the church or give money, right? Okay. We have a mind that has a huge effect on how we see the world around us. God says he wants to give us a mind, a transformed mind, That is of Jesus Christ, right? He wants us to help us think like Jesus because Jesus gave his life for his Father in heaven. Jesus served him, loved him, obeyed him. Before we can get to WWJD, for our guests, that was a saying, and it's still going on in some ways, what would Jesus do? We got to get to what would Jesus think. How did Jesus think, yes? What is the mind of Christ? God wants to change the way you think by the transforming of your mind. It doesn't happen by chance. But It doesn't happen by chance. It is a choice. Uh, Dallas Willard, who's a philosopher, UCLA, he has a good quote. He says, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings created by God is the ability to select what we allow our minds to dwell on. I injected the created by God part. He's saying we have the ability to select what we allow our minds to dwell on. What I'm telling you with that stream illustration is your minds are dwelling on particular thoughts more than you realize. Just like you don't realize the pattern of your breathing. You go to a doctor and they're like, or the beating, the pattern of the rhythm of your heart. You don't know these things. They're just happening. So it is with you dwelling on certain things and certain thoughts. You have the ability to choose what you think about. So right now, if I were to ask you, okay, um, I want you to dwell on the logo of the Red Sox. I don't want you to dwell on the fact that they stink and they're like, you know, 10 and like 20 or something like that, you know, and that they're, I don't know, last place or somewhere down there. I want you to dwell on the logo itself, right? Now, some of you... I say, saying, you know, some of you are doing it. You're doing it well, I can tell. And some of you refuse to do that. You're like, I'm not going to do what he tells you to do. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to think about that. Either way, you've just both chosen what to think, yes? And some of you are thinking not such nice things about me. I can tell by the looks on your face. <laughs> now look. Look, so you can choose what you're going to think, right? What you do and what you don't think about. And that we can make that choice, unlike for the most part, much of creation, because God created us, huh? We get to choose what we think about. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. There we are in Romans chapter 8 again, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh. The flesh is what we would call our our nature, our our sinful nature, right? The the part that rules us, dominates us before we give our hearts and trust in Jesus. huh? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. If you're living by your sinful nature, if you're living for yourself, you simply cannot please God. So you have your flesh and you have your spirit. Which wolf are you going to feed? What are you going to fuel? And your thoughts will determine that to a significant extent. Are you going to feed your flesh? Or are you going to feed your spirit? Are you going to think about things in an unhealthy way from your past? Are you going to dwell on things continually in a disturbed way and feed our flesh and yield to your enemy, your adversary, Satan? Or are you going to turn around and feed your spirit and just recognize God, who he is, what he's done, his promises poured out into your life? Paul here, the apostle Paul, is saying, hey, there's a certain way to thinking that leads to life and that leads to peace. And he's saying what? That the Holy Spirit is here to help you along with that, to help you along with greater, better thoughts that honor God. Who doesn't need help with their thoughts? Who here doesn't need help with thoughts? Who in here is not struggling with good and bad thoughts? I do, continuously, certainly daily, I'm in this struggle with good and bad thoughts, with healthy and unhealthy thoughts, with godly and ungodly thoughts. And I need the help of God, Holy Spirit. I need to recognize and dwell on the truth of who Jesus is. And I need to believe that God says he is sending his spirit to help me with the way I think. We want the Holy Spirit. And we can call out to the Holy Spirit, mess with my thinking. Make a mess, a holy mess of my thinking, God, Holy Spirit. The way we think about our past, our present, our future. And you got that past there again. The way we think about our past, it dogs us, it hinders us, it holds us down. And really, it gets us off course significantly. Hmm? And one of the ways it gets us off course when we're thinking about our past is this little word called guilt. Guilt. Present in in so many of our thoughts, hanging around like this like this cloud, this unresolved cloud, huh? Guilt says I've I've done a bad thing. Guilt and and it's tied to a behavior. Guilt says you know. Uh, I've caused someone mistreatment or misfortune. Guilt is an emotion. The thoughts are what you've done, what happened, what's unreconciled, what's not dealt with. I have this guilt. What did I do that brought, that's bringing me shame or regret, but it's all wrapped in this guilt, huh? And guilt is submerged in the past. It's the past dogging us and haunting us. We struggle with it, so when I, when I said, "Hey, how many of you have ever said "What was I thinking?" The, many of you raised your hand, and in that is, is in that somewhere for many of you is guilt right. And shame and regret. Hey, look, when, that officer, when those officers would come, well, my, yeah, I felt, I, I felt guilty because my family disruption, misfortune, we're going to have a great day. And I felt, you know, shame, you know, just having to deal with the officers. And, and then, you know, just, yeah, just a regret, man. Of, you know, okay, and that's a light. That's a lighter load to carry. But what about in some really serious areas of our life, you know, when we feel guilty, because there's something we've did that's caused ourselves or others around us misfortune, what mistreatment, huh? We, we carry this guilt. Now, I have a plethora of this, really, um, in my life because of the way I lived my life. I was thinking about bringing some of that last week on Easter, but I, I chose not to when we were talking about your story. Uh, Justin, Christian, I sat, we talked, and we extracted it from my sermon. Um, but, and I do, I uh, do. And then, you know, there are some things that are still notable but kind of on the lighter side where just kind of the way I am, you know, like, you know, and the things I do. I find myself in these, I don't know, precarious situations. Some of you where, you know, I kind of can feel guilt. Some of you might be familiar that my father-in-law and I have this weird relationship, you know. That's, that's a good word for it, weird, peculiar relationship that goes on. And, and really, you know, it's not just a generational thing. Um, It's just kind of, or a personality, because we're different in generation, we're different in personality. But then it's just kind of a, you know, the way it is is, so uh, I'm not mechanically inclined. As I said before, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I think it means you're not very good working with your hands, right? I'm not very good at that. Um, I don't read instructions. I I, I try, it just doesn't work, uh, you know? I mean, you know, videos help a little bit more, but it's yeah, it doesn't go well, because you actually have to take the time to watch the video, so that doesn't go well for me. Um, I don't have patience. Well, I have. I just don't have a lot uh, of patience. And then you have my father-in-law, which, and and by the way, I don't value safety, obviously. Here I am in the woods, you know, calling the cops. Uh, (laughs) Now, my (laughs) father-in-law, my father-in-law really is very good working with his hands, is is meticulous when it comes to reading instructions, Uh, has has the patience of a mule. He has other attributes he shares with a mule as well. (laughs) And and he's really like crazy dedicated to safety. Like he worked in a very dangerous environment for 30-something years, and he he got a So he's over the top with safety. All right, so here here is the dilemma. So when it comes to things around a property, you, you can just feel the tension here. And so, there's a problem in my home uh, with a toilet bowl. It's gone back years ago. I'd like to think this is before I started a church. It makes me feel better about how I'm representing myself. It's possible that this might have happened when I was a pastor. I'm not sure, okay? And, and so, what goes on here is that there's an issue with the toilet bowl in my home. Meaning that it starts off kind of rather simple. The toilet bowl doesn't flush. But, you know, you have me and my two boys... And we just take the whole masculine thing to another level, if you will. And, and, and before you know it, within a couple of days, this thing is a mini septic tank, right? You know, who was going to fix it, who wasn't going to fix it, and was going to do this, who kept going. So now we're pretty much up to the brim with like this dark brown, disgusting, putrid. My wife is like, you got to be kidding me. I can smell it in the living room, water in the toilet bowl, right? So she's like, you, you, just, you just need to stop and you just need to fix this, please. I said, all right, I will. So I go and I talk to uh, Jim, a guy here in the church, and I tell him what's going on, and he says, well, I have something for you. He said, but you really, you need to pay attention to what I'm telling you. It's going to fix the problem. And he, and he tells me about a tool, and he shows it to me, and it's about yay long, and it's about that thick, right? You know, it would be about, I don't know, three inches in diameter, uh, you know, pretty good size. And... Um, and the, it's got a mechanism at the end that allows pressure to build up significantly in it with a PSI measurement. Uh, pressure per square inch, I think, something like that. And then he says, okay, here's what you're going to do. You see this, this nozzle down at the end? You're going to, he goes, okay, step one is, he goes, and listen, pay attention. Step one is you've got to empty everything out of the toilet bowl. All the liquid, all the, you know, what I don't wanna, all the mess, you've got to empty it all out. Once everything's empty out of the toilet bowl, you're going to turn around and take this nozzle. You're going to place it down into the kind of the mouth of the toilet bowl down there, you know, where the water goes in. And and then you're going to turn around and you're going to pump it. He says, you can do 20, 30 PSI. Whatever you do, do not go past 40 PSI. And then once it's in place, pull the trigger. He said, it'll it'll bring out an enormous amount of force. Whatever's in those pipes, it will blast it out. Never fails, he said, unless you got concrete in there. I said, okay. So he puts it in a, uh, a box, a two-box, I pick it up, go home. So I get home, I get out of the car, I th- go through my garage, and here at the same time comes Lloyd out of his house. Our houses are kind of connected. Lloyd comes out, and he looks at me, he's like, what are you doing with that? You know, so now what do I hear? I hear, hey, idiot, <laughs> right? <laughs> I do. Hey, 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 you incompetent idiot, actually. Like, you know, like I shouldn't have a tool in my hand. This is like dangerous, this is not good. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, Right? Like, put that down. Actually, I think he might have said, put it down. And so, he said, what are you doing with that? I, I, I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go take care of the toilet. He said, "He said, well, just put it down. He goes, I, just put it down. I'll take care of it. I said, fine. So I put the box down. I stepped away. He walked over. He opened it up. And I'm standing He goes, where are the instructions? I said, well, there are no instructions there. Jim told me what to do. He said, well, what do I have to do? I said, well, really, it's two, two steps. Step one is make sure you leave everything in the toilet bowl. Everything. Don't take any liquid, nothing. All the contents have to remain in the toilet bowl. I said, step two is, you have to push this to 60 PSI. (laughs) So, this could fall under what was I thinking, as well as goat, by the way. Covers two categories. And so Lloyd takes this. Now, Lloyd's a safety freak, so he goes, he puts his special trousers on, his special gloves, he's got goggles, and he goes in there, and he walks in there, and he puts that baby down to all the mess, and he... (laughs) I don't think it was really meant to go to 60, but Lloyd's a strong guy. And he gets this thing all the way down. And then he goes, boom! <laughs> and he just, whoo! And, now, and the whole mess and stuff, boom! Comes flying in his face. And then he turns and he's dazed and he, he forgot to put the goggles down. which just made it so much better. And it's, oh, and it's, oh it's just, I can't see. He's staggering. And, all right, so I'm positive I did this before I was a pastor, by the way. No doubt about it. So, so so, Chrissy comes down what, what, what's going on she sees her dad oh my what did you what's going on what did you do to him Jim I didn't do anything to him it's Jim <laughs> so well it took me like three and a half hours to Chrissy uh, to clean the bathroom Lloyd was in pretty rough shape literally if you ever wonder what it would be like if you, if you dipped a human being into a septic tank and pulled him out that was my father-in-law for about for about an hour and so you know as the hours went on and I've never told you this because I'm thinking, I really want to get to know you well. Uh, bef- otherwise, you'd think disparaging things about me, right? That I would do this. But again, what was I thinking? And of course, I carry I did, I, would, I carried the guilt. And I carried the guilt like, man, that was pretty out of hand. Look what I did to this guy. And um, I think it was like three months ago, I finally told him. <laughs> and uh, and I, think, I think, actually, last service, I, I finally asked you to forgive me, right? Didn't I? Yeah, I did. Yeah, just in the last service, I you know, I told him I was sorry, and I asked him to forgive me. He hasn't responded yet, so uh, maybe, maybe my sermon uh, will uh, will convince him. But so, so, am I proud of that? No, I am not, you know. Uh, please don't. If I'm laughing, don't pay attention to that. But there are things, right, but look, there are things I remember about my past, that there was this guilt, some like that. You know, on the lighter side, but there, some more seriousness, right? Some from decisions I've made, huh? Now, I don't know about you, but I have these, if you will, I have two problems when it comes to my memory and how I think about the past. The first thing is I forget the things I want to remember, right? And the second thing is I remember the things I want to forget. The things I want to forget. Forget in the context of that they have a weight on me. That they affect me. That that, that these thoughts are dwelling more than I realize. Like the air I breathe and they're lingering and they're contaminating and tainting the thoughts that are coming through my head that are affecting how I feel. Like that's what I mean by forgetting, huh? And what do you do about that? Think this. The cross changes the way we think about our past. The cross changes the way we think about our past. It's important that we think right about the cross, that we understand the cross, that, that we grasp what happened on the cross. The Romans, those who crucified Jesus, had many ways, cruel ways to kill somebody. But to maximize the shame and the pain, they would use the cross. The word, we get our word excruciating from a Latin word which means cross. Cross. Jesus experienced excruciating pain on the cross, huh? Now there was another, and when I say that you think, you think flesh being shredded, you think blood, you think beating, this is all correct, but there's another element to Jesus' pain that was very different from the thousands of others that experienced the brutal crucifixion. Now this is hard for us to grasp because it's supernatural, right? But I want you to consider this. I want you to consider all of those things that have happened in your past, the, 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 the guilt, the shame, the regret, things that you would say, what was I thinking, or, or that is not what God would have had me done. Well, that was a way of thinking apart from God, you know, that brought me to that place of, of sin, that brings me to this place of guilt or regret or shame. And I want you to think about and imagine all of that being placed on the cross, being placed on Jesus, your sins, my sins all coming down and weighing on Jesus, the sins of the world, the sins of forever coming and resting on Jesus. He, Jesus, who had no sin, no sin, who did not sin, all of the sin of the world, including yours and mine, placed on him, and now without that sitting on him the wrath of God the holy anger of God poured down on him because God hates sin and then there's this supernatural if I will a supernatural suffering that is upon Jesus that he experiences on the cross that no one had ever experienced before and no one ever will and he did that for you and he did that for me that we could see and think differently. That we could see our past differently, our present and our future differently. That we could have greater thoughts. He did that so we can experience a supernatural healing. His supernatural pain in exchange for our supernatural healing. His place on the cross and our, us having a home in heaven, right? A supernatural home in heaven. This is truth. Bring that into your process of thinking. Let bring that into thoughts you dwell on. He did that so you could obtain forgiveness and a righteousness. Righteous mean that we are right before God, huh? What happened on the cross was this great exchange. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one: "Christ never sinned, but God put our sin on Him. God put Dave's sin on." Jesus, then we are made right with God because of what Christ has done for us. I am right with God because of what Jesus did for me on that cross. That is my story. That is what I go to. That is a thought that I draw on. Is it the only thought? No. Does it become a secondary thought to other thoughts at times? Yes. Is it in the radar? Yes. Does it make its way to the front? Often. So the cross, so on the cross, all that guilt passed is placed on Jesus. And in exchange, he gives you forgiveness and he gives you a righteousness. I want you to, I'm going to say something. I want to pause because I know this is beyond, you certainly will understand it, it's just a bit beyond our grasp. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees his son. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus and what he did on the cross. He doesn't see your sin. That's what we mean when we say you're righteous before God, that Christ bearing your sin on the cross and as a propitiation, taking the wrath of God upon him in the midst of all that, the result of that is that God now sees Jesus and not your sin. I want you to believe that. I want you to have that in your thinking. And not because of what you've done or have to do, but because of what Jesus has already did. That's the magnificent of our Savior, of our God. That righteousness has been placed on you. It's who you are. That's your story. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, when you place your trust in him, or have placed your trust in him, we have a bunch of it all in here. An exchange was made. So, now we have this guilt, and now we know we have this forgiveness. We, we, we crave forgiveness. I often have been saying the last few weeks that as human beings created by God, we have this desire to know and to be known. We do. We want to, starting with a God, we want to know God and be known by God, and we want to know others and be known by others. We want intimacy. We crave, we need intimacy. And to the depth that we have, that is really what makes a happy and healthy life. To the depth that we have good, healthy, godly intimacy. Well, the same. Then another key element that makes that brings a healthy life together is forgiveness. To give and to receive forgiveness in relationships. There's a story of a um, in Spain. I, I think it's true. I'm not positive, but it's a good story. <laughs> it's in Spain, and it speaks of a father who had a falling out with his son. The relationship was fractured. They became distant. After some time, a long time, the father just begins to crave to be with his son. And and he decides to put an ad in a local paper. son's name is Paco. And he puts an ad in the paper. Paco, I, you know, know, I I forgive you. You know, I I forgive you. I want to put that past behind us. Please meet me at the Montana Hotel tomorrow at 10 o'clock in the morning and a father shows up at 10 o'clock the next morning, There is 800 Pacos waiting for him there. 800 Pacos, man, right? Why? Because we need forgiveness. And not only do we, do we need to give it, but we, we desire to receive it, right, as well. We long for it. So we're not, and we cannot, how would you say this? We're not made right with God based on what we do but what Jesus did on the cross. Now why do I interject that? Because as soon as we turn around and we start thinking about forgiveness, especially the part of asking for forgiveness, you know, we start going back to our our, our default way of thinking and it slowly drowns out any spiritual seeds, any inspiration of us moving towards that asking of forgiveness. And we start to think how we're going to do it. And and you need to stop that. You need to say, wait a minute, this I, I, I'm not right to do that. You're not. But because what Jesus did on the cross, because of God, Holy Spirit working in you and helping you with your thoughts along, you know, yes, you're not alone. You can. And because you're right with God, you can ask for forgiveness, huh? Because you are not not alone. Not only is it not only you that are putting it forward, but what's going on on the other side also is in God's control, regardless of the response. To ask forgiveness, huh? To turn around and, and make that call, to write that letter, even today, Huh? to heal that relationship. So when you have a sense of God, what do you do? You bring it to the cross. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we tell him our sins, God, he is faithful, and we can depend on him to forgive us of our sins, and he will make our lives clean of sin. He'll make us righteous. Now, there's two types. Ta- I want to close out this way, by just for sake of clarity, there are two types of guilt. One can be used effectively, Right? And, and, it, and, and, it, and it can be inspired by God, and we call that conviction, right? And it still falls in line with some of what I talked about, and if, and if, and if we honor God, it can really bring us to a, a truly a place of blessing and benefit. If we turn around and, and, and run from that, and we, in a sense, take our, our psyche and our mind, our thoughts, and we hand it over to the enemy, and now it's an instrument for him to taunt us and dog us. But there's one type of guilt called conviction. Conviction can bring you to a place of confessing your sin. And this is a powerful way. Confessing your sin is what? It's being honest with God. It's having this open and honest before you run ahead of what it's just being honest with God. It's talking to God openly, right? Before you start to count what you have to do and what's gonna just just be honest with God. And sometimes you might move in seconds from that or minutes, or sometimes it might take you nine years, you know? <laughs> or eight. Whenever we started a church, it was before then. But just having this intimate, honest conversation with your God. Confessing your sin is not bringing a relief to your conscience. It's fueling your spirit, right? And, and, and what is it doing now? It's changing the way you think, the way you think about God, the way you think about yourself. It's a powerful way to change the way you think, the what you're dwelling on. When you confess your sins to God, God cleanses your soul. Now, there's another type of guilt, and that comes not from God, but from our enemy. That's condemnation, right? Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from the enemy. Conviction leads us towards God. Condemnation pushes us away from God, right? Right? Conviction makes us want to change. We're filled with hope. I got it. I'm being honest with myself, honest with God. I'm starting to see things in a, in a more clearer, grander way. I'm seeing the possibilities that exist as I trust in God. Condemnation makes us think nothing's going to change. I'm not going to change. Even though you're not telling, you're not saying that you're, in a sense, have a narrative. That's what you're telling yourself, you know. All things are bad. I'm bad. Things are bad. Nothing's going to change. This whole thing is just Condemned. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 2 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, there it is, that life-giving spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Sin is not what dominates you, controls you, haunts you. No. Overwhelms you. It is the spirit of God living in you. You know, so sometimes things come up in our thoughts from our past and God brings us to a place of confession, a place of conviction, and we confess. And that's a beautiful thing to do that, right? Or we, maybe we ask someone else forgiveness. That's another wonderful way to change the way you think, huh? And sometimes things come up because God is wanting us to have this kind of courageous conversation with him. Where we can ask him, as David did when he had this courageous conversation, search my heart, oh God, and reveal to me if there's anything in me that is not right or that offends you. Wow. Talk about that. You see, this kind of a prayer coming from, from a conviction is one that really brings us to, to just stop, as I said before, and, and ask us, ourselves that question. You know, when we're, when we're saying to God, search my heart and reveal it to me, show me if there's anything that's not right there, that's not right between me and you. It reveals hidden agendas that we have. It, it brings clarity. It, 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 it makes us pause and stop and question ourselves. And, and so instead of, here's the, here's the, let me sum it up. Instead of months later or years later saying, how did I get here, right? When you don't ask yourself, when you don't have that conversation with God and you're not asking yourself questions, empowered by the Holy Spirit, instead of asking yourself, how did I get here? You then could say, why am I thinking this way? Why am I thinking this way? Is this a legitimate thought? Is this a trustworthy thought? Is this a noble thought? Is this a pure thought? Why? And that will save you and the ones you love so much pain, so much pain, so many problems, and it will put you on a better trajectory. It's a merciful God. I'm I'm proof of that, but I assure you, this is a great plan and this is a great destiny for you, okay? So, look, I want you to consider doing something crazy here today as we move towards closing out. And say to God, within yourself, God, begin to work in me and bring me to this place of courage that I can, just that you would have me bring myself to question myself today. God, that you would have me even just begin to have the conversation with you. Is there anything that I need to confess? One of the ways I pray and when I read scripture is I'll open up the scripture and I'll be reading it and I'll say, what in this scripture brings me to a place of confession to god every week twice a week and that same i would say what in this scripture brings me to a place of thanking god and praising god right i know i know that it's in that confession is where it's going to change my thinking huh and that's going to influence where i'm going and where i'm going to land it's tough yes painful yeah it's painful beautiful always always results supernatural supernatural And in the end, it brings freedom. It brings freedom, baby. It does. Freedom to your soul, freedom to your thoughts, freedom to your life. And that's because you're honoring God and God is now shaping your thoughts and what you think is going to affect how you feel, right? And that's how you're going to deal with that guilt, you know? And it's going to change your life and it's going to bring healthy relationships. It's a huge leap of faith. So you need to know, That God takes your worst sins and your worst failures and in his sovereign, most excellent way, in a supernatural way, he uses them for your benefit and blessings. We call that redemption. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about what the man standing before you have experienced, this phenomenal redemption of God taking my mess, my failures, my sins and in an extraordinary way, bringing them to the other side and bringing blessings and benefits into my life. I, it's beyond my understanding. It's just truth. It's redemption. And by the way, I am not alone. Hundreds of millions, perhaps billions of people with me and before me have experienced this redemptive process. And this comes from when we go to the cross. Not we stay harbored and angered into our own thinking, but we inject in our thinking the cross of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did for us. And in that thinking now, and as we yield to that thinking and embrace it and give it an environment to nurture it and honor it, you know what happens? God begins to glorify himself through us. Yeah. God takes these empty, broken vessels, huh? these dry bones, right? And in the middle of all that, he glorifies himself through it, meaning that he shows the world, look at the faithful living God I am and look at the great, magnificent things I'm doing through this human being that truly, even those who don't believe in God would attest this is supernatural. This is not what we expected. It is beyond what we would have ever even contemplated that this person could do to God be the glory, yes? So, it doesn't matter what you think about the Red Sox logo, (laughs) but it does matter how you think about the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything hinges on that. Do you believe in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross? Will you confess your sins? Will you turn to God for those things where you've missed his target, his commands? Will you believe that God this morning has just freedom for you? And if you Freedom from the way you think about your past, freedom from the way you carry your past into your present. That God has a change in your present, in the way you're thinking, and He's got a phenomenal future for you. You came in this morning, uh, Chris. I think last service I said Christy, then I said Chris, and I, I did it again. It's not Chris, it's Dan, the guy with the beard in the cage. Uh, Dan talked about a connection card. On one, on, the other, on one side of those cards it says my next step and there's two boxes and, they, and one of them says I am starting a new relationship with Jesus I'm renewing my relationship with Jesus today is your day to start a relationship with Jesus should you not have one should you have not decided to follow Jesus since you've not had that moment of confessing before God today is your day where you're going to say Jesus you are at the center of my thoughts what you did on the cross I believe in it I feel it when, when, I, when I internalize that when I allow myself to think about that I sense your presence. I realize the Holy Spirit is drawing me closer to you. All this is happening in me, and it just feels so right. So I'm turning to you now. I believe in you, what you did on the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness, even now, the forgiveness of my sins and the freedom from living as, as a sinful being and being dominated by that. I turn to you, Jesus. I'm renewing my relationship. Man, I've been kicking around this Christianity thing for a decade, for 20 years, and I've been carrying my way of thinking through this. My way of thinking is dominating this. My past is, is carried into this. So kind of like Christianity embellishes... What I have held on to regarding my past, and that is just carried into my relationships and my life way too much. Not now, not this day. Today, I turn to Jesus and what He did on the cross for me, and I I literally slay that way of thinking in me. I come against it in the name of Jesus. And I speak to the cross and what he did on the cross. This is who I am. This is my story. This is my future. And this now dominates my past and empowers me to confess when I have to, to ask forgiveness when I have to, and to turn to God and with courage when I need to, which might be today. Yes? You fill that card out. Check those boxes off. 11 people did last week. Over 55 people did last year. And they, and it's a beautiful thing. You take that card to the guest services table and, um, and they'll give you a box. The cross changes the way you see your past. How you think about the cross matters because where you end up is influenced by how you think. The cross is where we take our guilt, our shame, and our regrets. We go to the cross. The cross is where we find forgiveness, where, we, where righteousness is brought upon us and we believe that. And the cross is where we have redemption, that redemptive power. The cross changes the way we think. To God be the glory.